Luke is contrasting this poor, blind beggar and this rich man who had everything and every opportunity. One, though, had faith, and one didn't. One had faith even though he didn't have sight, and the other one had sight and everything going for him, but missed faith. Who was truly the rich one in this situation? Who was truly the blind one in this situation? What is our area of blindness? How are we spiritually blind? What are we missing in our spiritual growth that we know Jesus needs to shine a light onto for us to see? Welcome to the Sunday morning service here at First Evangelical Church Glendale in Glendale, California. Let's listen as FEC's youth pastor Michael Shu teaches from the Word of God. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's again, it's, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to to bring the word this morning. Uh, today's um, sermon is going to be from Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. Uh, if you're following along in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there right now. Um, but before I get into the sermon, I, I just was uh, noticing actually from our passage the importance of names. And I mentioned this before, when we um, named uh, our son, Gloria and I uh, were looking for a meaningful name. I mean, we wanted something that was sort of, you know, that sounded cute or whatever, but, but we wanted a meaningful name. And so, so we named our, our firstborn Theodore, which meant or means gift of God, because we had been trying to be pregnant for a number of years and we're having difficulty with that. And when it finally happened, we were so just overwhelmed uh, with thanksgiving that we knew that he was a gift of God um, to, to us. And so uh, we named him Theodore. Now, you know, on our second child, we, we got a little bit lazy as we do uh, often <laughs> with, with the second child, right? The second child we sort of named after my favorite football player, but, uh, <laughs> but names are important. Um, names are important given names. Uh, you know, I, I think of a lot of the um, Korean international students who come and, and kind of choose their names, right? They come as adult students, maybe come to seminary or come to, you know, they're Christian, that they may be Christian. And so they give themselves sort of Christian or biblical names. You, you see a lot of the, the men are named Paul and John and, and Peter and so forth, right? And so Jesus' name was a given name, and Jesus' name had significance as well. The name of Jesus is God is salvation. And so that is an important name. I mean, it, it, was, it spoke not only to who Jesus was, but it was to his mission, to his calling in life. And I found it really interesting that just as, you know, he, he sort of also named himself in a way. And one of the names that he gave himself or that he referred to himself uh, with was the son of man. The son of man. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a phrase that, uh, I mean, in a, in a simple sense, just means it's referring to a human being, right? But so, you know, in, in, if you've, um, you know, so some people think that, well, Jesus never uh, referred to himself as, you know, being divine, that that was something invented later in the, you know, centuries down by the church and say that, oh, you know, we kind of elevated him. But no, this, this title, Son of Man, that Jesus gave to himself was a reference back to a vision in the Old Testament that Daniel had. And this vision is, is recorded um, in, in uh, Daniel chapter 7. 
And let's see here. Son of man, as it's used in the New Testament as a name for Jesus, it actually occurs a lot of times in the Gospels. 13 times uh, in the Gospel of John, 69 times in the other three Gospels. And so Son of Man um, was a self-assigned or self-designated title that Jesus referred to himself as. So in Daniel uh, 7, what we see is um, Daniel's having this vision. And in this vision, uh, you know, it's being revealed sort of the, the sweep of history. And there's, there's images of different sort of creatures and so forth. And, and it's talking about history and how it's unfolding. And, and eventually will, will culminate at uh, the, the judgment of the world before the Ancient of Days, God, uh, the, our Heavenly Father. And so in the midst of that, Daniel, uh, in his vision, says this. He says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of Every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What we have is a vision of God. Um, and there's this son of man or someone who, who looks to be in human form, but is obviously divine. And he's coming on the clouds and approaching the, the ancient of days. And, and, and God assigns to him these gifts, glory. God assigns to him sovereignty. God assigns to him worship and an everlasting dominion, an eternal kingdom. Jesus wasn't a son of man. Jesus referred to himself as the son of man, this king that is to come, whose kingdom would would have no end. That is who Jesus understood himself as, this Messiah, this awaited, long-awaited Messiah that the uh, Jewish people had been waiting for for so long. Jesus was also clear not just about who he was as a Messiah, But Jesus was also communicated clearly that this Messiah wasn't going to be the kind of Messiah that most people expected. But this Messiah was going to suffer and die and be raised again to life. He says this several times, and the the Gospel of Luke records it uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 22. After, you know, Peter confesses, uh, you know, Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? And Peter responds, well, God's Messiah, right? Peter sort of sees it in that moment. And then what's Jesus' response to that? Jesus says, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay, he says it once there. Later in chapter 9, again, Jesus heals this demon-possessed boy, And uh, let's see, chapter 9, verse 43 says, And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they could not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. 
So Jesus mentions twice that though he's the Messiah, he's this Messiah who will suffer, who will die on the cross. And then in the chapter where our passage comes from, Luke 18, and these are the verses just preceding our, uh, our, our passage. Luke 18, 31, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. So Jesus wants them to know, wants them to understand. And so he's telling them this again. And so how did the the disciples respond in that moment? They they, they sort of had this three strikes and you're out kind of moment, right? So for the third time, when Jesus, you know, declares like, you know, the son of man, the Messiah is going to suffer, the disciples respond in verse 34. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. Luke's making a point in this part of his, his, his gospel. He's showing that you know, God, Jesus is communicating who he is. He's, 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 he's letting people know. He's speaking about his identity as the Messiah, the, the servant of God, this son of man that has been long awaited. And he's talking about how this Messiah may not fit what the people were you know, thinking of or imagining when they thought of the Messiah that was to come, that this Messiah was going to suffer. This Messiah was going to be, um, uh, you know, flogged and, and crucified and die, die on the cross. Luke was trying to reveal this. And to some, the light bulb came on. And yet to others, they still couldn't grasp it. And I think Luke makes an interesting point because just proceeding to our passage, we hear this um, encounter that Jesus has with, with a rich man. And this rich man um, comes to Jesus, you know, what do I need to, be, need to do to be saved? And Jesus tells him to, you know, obey these commandments. He's like, man, I've done that. I, I've got this locked down. And so Jesus comes to him again. Okay, well, then sell all that you have, you know, give it to the poor and, and come follow me. And, and that rich person, that rich man walked away because he was sad. He had great wealth. He couldn't receive, he couldn't respond to what Jesus was saying in faith. And yet we come to now, in our passage, a blind beggar. Right? You would think that the, the rich man, with his privilege, with his opportunity, with you know, all, everything going for him, I mean, he would be a, a, a shoe-in when it comes to the kingdom of God. He, you know, God must be blessing him. God must be pleased with him. And yet he missed the kingdom. And then we come to our passage with this blind, man, this blind beggar. In Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. I'll read this uh, and please follow along. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what has happened? Or he asked, what has happened? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way, uh, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. 
Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Let's pray as we get into this uh, word from our Lord. Heavenly Father, we just ask that by your spirit, you would open up these scriptures to us and let us hear afresh um, what you are saying to your church, Lord. Lord, we invite you to work in our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So crowds were beginning to make their way through Jericho. Jesus was on his way with his own disciples through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem for Passover. And so it was natural at this time for crowds to be coming through Jericho. Jericho was sort of this one day's trip away. Um, you know, some say, you know, it was about 17 miles. Can you cover 17 miles in one day of walking? Uh, you know, maybe a brisk walk. But that's about, it, was, it was about a one day's journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. And so it was normal for rabbis to come through on their way to Jerusalem for Passover. And, and it was also normal for them to have sort of this entourage of students and disciples following them. And even more so, because it was Passover, um, many of the Levites who worked in the temple they resided in Jericho. And so they were getting ready to, you know, for their turn to serve. And so there was this, you know, crowds were coming in and out and moving around Jericho. And so this time around, there's a, the crowd comes through and it gets the attention uh, of this beggar who is, who is sitting at the side of the road. Uh, verse 35 and 37, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting uh, by the side of the road, by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. Then he told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now the crowds explained to him, this is Jesus of Nazareth. Um, That in itself isn't uh, a particularly special title, right? It just meant Jesus who was from Nazareth. Nazareth was his hometown, right? And it it was common for people to say, well, so-and-so of of this place, right? And so they were telling him, well, Jesus of Nazareth is coming through. But what was the blind man's response to that information that he received? Obviously, he couldn't see who was coming through. And so he was told, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And the blind man in verse 38 responds, he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led uh, the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man heard Jesus of Nazareth, but he perceived and he understood him as the son of David. So what does that mean? Why did he refer to him as the son of David, right? Wasn't, wasn't uh, Jesus' father named Joseph, right? It wasn't he the son of Joseph? But this blind beggar referred to him as the son of David, And this speaks to this Old Testament hope that a son of David, a Messiah from David's line, from the line of David's kingship, would would come and deliver God's people, would rule justly. It spoke of Jesus, not only his past lineage, which we see in the different uh, genealogies in the Gospels that goes back to King David, but it also spoke to his calling and his significance of who he was, his identity. And and we don't know how the the beggar came to that knowledge. 
we, you know, maybe he heard about some stories uh, before. And so when he saw this as an opportunity that Jesus of Nazareth was coming close, he called out to, oh man, this is, this is the, the, the one we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah that people have been talking about. And he got excited and, and he couldn't contain himself. And so he stood up, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so I kind of liken this, you know, I, um, when you know someone, like, or there's different levels of, of knowing uh, a person, right? And, and calling them by name. And so I kind of, you know, got this uh, person's permission to share this, right? So when I first came to the youth group, um, I met uh, one of the students. Her name is Gabby. Gabby Go. You know her parents. Uh, they're in here today, uh, William and Pinky, right? So I, we knew her as Gabby, but her, I don't know, her government name, her, her, her legal name is, is not Gabby. Her, her legal name is Anne Gabrielle Chiang Go, right? And so, you know, people, the government or whoever, when she, you know, if she were to apply for something, she would use that legal name. But people who knew her, we would refer to her as Gabby, right? And people who knew her for a long time, who maybe grew up with her, especially in church, had another nickname for her. They called her Fish. I don't know why exactly. It took me a long time to figure out who they were referring to. But because they knew her and, and were with her and understood, you know, were, had a close relationship, that was the name that they were able to call. And she responded to it, too. So it wasn't like they were just calling her uh, a name. And so, you know, a lot of people knew Jesus of Nazareth, right? They knew this person. But to understand who Jesus of Nazareth was, was to understand him as the son of David. To understand who Jesus was, was to understand him as the son of man. I mean, we might know his government name, his legal name, right? But to truly understand who he was, was to know him as the son of David, the Messiah who's been long awaited, who was now here. So what do we learn from this blind man's actions? Well, we learn that he understood, he saw his condition clearly. It, it was obvious that he had at least two pressing needs, right? First, that he was physically blind and that hindered him from, you know, just living the, a regular life and, and being able to go through, um, you know, life freely. There was some impediment there that, that he had to overcome, so not only was there the need uh, of, the, of blindness, but there was also the need of poverty. He was a beggar, right? And these two things kind of, you, you would think that if someone, you know, in that time, if someone was blind, oftentimes they, you know, assign that, oh, well, somebody must have sinned, right? Somebody must have done something bad. Um, you know, this, this guy must not have God's favor on them for whatever reason, right? Or if they were poor or, and a beggar, right? You say, obviously, God didn't prosper them. They're in this poverty because you know, of whatever reason, right? They would be looked down upon. They would be kind of, yeah, be at the side of the road kind of uh, people, right? That they would be marginalized on the margins of society, But Jesus comes to him. Jesus comes to the marginalized person. And, and I don't think it was just that Jesus came to them because he was marginalized. But I think his actions reflect that he had faith, that there was faith in his heart, that he understood who Jesus was, and that he knew that the, his only chance, his only hope 
was for Jesus to come to him, for Jesus to heal him, for Jesus to, to address the deepest part of his heart. Luke is contrasting this poor, blind, you know, beggar and this rich man who had everything and every opportunity. One, though, had faith, and one didn't. One had faith even though he didn't have sight, and the other one had sight and everything going for him, but missed faith. Who was truly the rich one in this situation? Who was truly the blind one in this situation? Perhaps some of us are, are struggling with, with kind of understanding our own blindness or understanding um, our own struggle with darkness in our lives. You know, uh, we, we know that, that, you know, when we came to the Lord, that we were a new creation, right? He made us brand new. But we also know that we are walking in the process of sanctification, that, that God is refining us, that, and that there are still areas in our hearts that are not under his lordship yet, that aren't surrendered to him fully yet. And so there's, for many of us, there's, there's different parts of our character, different parts of our lives that are still, that still need the light of Christ, that still need his healing in our lives. What is our area of blindness? How are we spiritually blind? What are we missing um, in our spiritual growth? that we know Jesus needs to shine a light onto for us to see. Many of us struggle with that blindness. Many in our world are blind, blind to sin, blind to our destiny and calling from God, whether that destiny be our temporal destiny, like, you know, in this life, or eternal destiny. Many live in blindness to that. Many in this world live in blindness and, and hopelessness um, because they're just living for the material. They're spiritually out of touch with the condition and motivations of, of their own hearts. Well, Jesus came to change that. Jesus came to give us sight. Jesus came to not only restore the physical sight, but Jesus came to help us make clear, to, to make clear to us the, the blindness, the, the, the darkness in our own hearts, and that he was the only one who could save us from that darkness. You know, um, our society sort of, uh, I think, misunderstands the, the problem or the problems that, that, that we suffer as, a, as humanity, as people, right? Uh, it's, it's common for uh, people to insist that, you know, we look everywhere to solve the problems of humanity except to God, right? It's almost, I mean, it is an intentional thing where we will look anywhere in our society. We will look to, um, you know, legal system, passing laws. We will look to all kinds of charitable giving and those sort of things and and acts of mercy and so forth. We'll look to medical, you know, science and all those sort of things. We'll look anywhere for a solution except to God, there's this tendency to be like, you know, we're in darkness here and we need something to, to change something. We need to solve these problems, but we're not going to go to the light. And so uh, that's a frustrating thing, you know, like for us as, as a society to be in darkness, yet unwilling to approach 
light, unwilling to go to our creator who has revealed truth to us. This blind beggar understood his predicament, understood his brokenness. Do we understand our predicament and our brokenness apart from Christ? And even with Christ in our hearts, do we understand there's there's parts of our hearts that aren't yet surrendered to him, that need his healing, that need his refining in our lives? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. What we also see um, as an illustration of faith in the, in the life of this blind beggar was his persistence. That was a sign of his faith. Not only did he understand who Jesus was and understand that um, he, he needed him, but he would not give up. He cried out and persisted so that Jesus would hear. That was an act of faith. Right? Like, you know, sometimes when I'm in a, in a restaurant, I'm kind of this shy guy, right? If I try to get the attention of the waiter and they, they kind of don't see me, then I'll be like, oh, okay, you know, we'll wait, we'll wait till they come around again. And it'll be like three or five minutes later until they come around again, right? Whereas other people will be like, oh, excuse me, oh, excuse me, excuse me, or, right? And they'll start waving their arms. They'll, they'll get the attention. They'll persist in that, right? And so I kind of think of that, that, you know, that faith that this blind person had, this blind man had to not just be like, oh, son of David over here. Oh, well, sorry, you know, I missed it. But he persisted. He said, son of David, have mercy on me. He was calling out to God, over here, over here. I'm over here. Don't, you know, I need you. Come, come this way. Right? He, he, was, he was reaching out. He was crying out from his heart. And you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I remember the last time I cried out to God, God, over here, I need you. Over here, Lord, I'm struggling. Over here, don't, don't, don't miss me. Right? Sometimes I'll pray, you know, in faith, I'll, I'll, I'll pray what I'm supposed to pray. And then, you know, maybe God will answer, maybe he won't. And then I kind of move on, right? But there's this, I don't know, this persistence that was just, it was a faith. It was a desperation. It was a cry out for God. And I remember that cry when I came to the Lord. I remember that cry at different, you know, stages in my growth where I was, I remember actually just being right here in the front of this sanctuary during a spring harvest in 1993, crying out to God, repenting of sin, asking for God's deliverance, you know, calling out over here, Lord, over here, I need you. How many of us respond to God with that faith? And what's Jesus' response to that faith? Well, in Luke 18, 40 to 43, it says, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they all praised God. Jesus responded to faith. I almost feel like Jesus was like attracted to faith or or drawn to faith. Jesus sensed it and was like, where is this faith coming from? I I don't know. He didn't really do that, but that's how I imagine it in my mind, where, where Jesus hears this person calling out, not Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus, son of David, Messiah, 
I need you. Lord, I need you. Over here. Come over here. And so Jesus responds to him and comes to him and asks him, what is it that you want me to do? And I don't know if, if we have that same sort of insight and clarity of what do we need Jesus to do in our lives? What do we need Jesus to do to heal our hearts, to, to, to remove us or to move us you know, into the light you know, from darkness? To move us into understanding from, from ignorance. What is it that you need Jesus for this morning? You know, as we gather here, I just sense, you know, Jesus is here amongst his people. He's here. He's passing by. And we call it Jesus over here. Do we know what that need is? Do we know what we need healing for? And if you're, you're at home, you know, kind of don't, don't feel like it's the actions only in this sanctuary, right? Even at home, this is an opportunity. Jesus is here and he's, he's coming by. And, and if you're, you know, watching from home or, or worshiping from home, call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Trusting that Jesus will hear our cry. Jesus will come near. Jesus will ask us, what do you want me to do for you? And this isn't a, what do you want me to do for you kind of, uh, you know, let me grant you a wish. But really, what do we need God to do for us today? Where is our faith stumbling? Where is our um, hope crumbling? What do we need God to do for us today? Would you cry out? Would you ask God for clarity? Would you trust him and in faith, cry out, persist in prayer to him. It's interesting that Jesus you know, says to the man, your faith has healed you, right? And, and we, we know it was Jesus that healed him, right? But what was the role that, that faith played in this healing, in, 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 in this blind man receiving a, a healing? Well, faith is what moved him to cry out. He had the, the knowledge, right? He had understanding of maybe Jesus' identity. He under, had understanding of his need. But faith moved him beyond just that understanding to action, to cry out, to come and, and, and humble himself before the Lord. And even though he was shushed by the crowd, even though there was you know, obstacles in his way, faith just his faith is what pushed him, I, I need Jesus. And so this morning, what is that obstacle? What's keeping us from crying out? You know, I, I know we're a conservative sort of Chinese congregation. I don't expect us to stand up and shout or whatever, right? But what's keeping us from, from crying out to the Lord, from receiving from him, from, from being transformed and touched by the Holy Spirit right where we need to be touched and transformed? So what do you want Jesus to do for you today? There's a story um, about Anne May Penica. She was a 62-year-old 60, woman um, who had been blind from birth. Uh, and in 1981, October of 1981, uh, Dr. Thomas Pettit of, I think it's Jules Stein Eye Institute of uh, UCLA, he performed a surgery to remove this, this rare congenital, the, the cataracts on her left eye, I believe. And so for the first time after this surgery, for the first time in her life, she could see. 
And the newspapers reported this. This was, um, I mean, this is obviously a remarkable thing. Someone who had been blind from birth now could see. And so the newspapers wrote about this, and they don't record her necessarily her initial response, but they record that, you know, over time, they, they, it tells us that she discovered that everything seemed, you know, so much bigger and so much brighter than she had ever imagined, right? Up until that time, she had been living in darkness and couldn't see clearly, but now things seemed bigger and brighter, she immediately recognized her husband and others who, like, that she knew very well. Up until that point, she only knew them by touch. But when she saw, she, she understood who they were. And yet other acquaintances, you know, turned out to, that she didn't know as well, turned out to be taller or shorter or heavier or skinnier than she had pictured in her own mind. How wonderful it must have been to see, to finally see things that you had perceived or thought was were out there, you could finally see with our own eyes. And the miracle of seeing for the first time, I mean, yeah, I just can't, you can hardly describe how exciting that must be. But then I'm reminded of this, this quote by Helen Keller. Someone uh, asked her one day, um, you know, Helen Keller was both blind and deaf, and someone uh, had asked her, isn't it terrible to be blind? To which she responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to see. Lord, help us to see clearly our need for you. Help us this morning to see clearly that you are our only hope. You are um, our only Savior. So, Father, bring to heart and bring to mind those areas where we still, that are still darkened in our hearts, God, and bring light. Bring your healing. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on us, Lord. Heal us, whether it be physically or spiritually, of our blindness. Just take a moment now and, and see what is the Holy Spirit showing you about your need of Jesus. Bring that to the Lord. Call out to him this morning. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Cry out in that desperation, Lord, have mercy on me. We thank you, Lord, that when we come, when we turn to you in faith, we are met by grace. That when we turn to you in faith, Lord, we are met by hope and mercy and your love for us, God. So, Lord, as you pass by, on this morning, this worship service, as you, as you move through this sanctuary and move through our, our living rooms at home, Lord, we call out to you, Son of David, have mercy. Lord, would you come and, and give us sight? Give us the healing that we need from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue our, our service uh, a little further with communion. And so I'd like to invite the communion servants to come forward this morning. 
Jesus came to call us to faith. Um, he, he came to, to save us from a life of spiritual darkness. He came to give us an awareness of our sin, but not only that, to give us hope for forgiveness of sins, to heal us, to be reconciled to our Creator. And so let us, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, come with confidence that Jesus will respond to us. He will respond to our cries for mercy this morning. He will respond with mercy. He will respond with salvation. He will respond by cleansing us. May we leave this time together with an assurance of our salvation and a strengthening of our faith as Jesus has overcome darkness on our behalf.
1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 24 says that, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ, which is given for us. Let's partake together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of our Lord Jesus, which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, we lean upon you. We put our trust and our faith in you. You are our only hope, God. You are the light that will light the darkness in our hearts, God. So, Father, would you strengthen us in our faith? Repair our hope, Lord. Lift us up this morning, God, that we might be witnesses of your goodness to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we um, close with a, a benediction and doxology, just a reminder that following the service, prayer ministers will be available um, in the rear of the sanctuary, or yeah, the rear of the sanctuary, um, that after a moment of quiet reflection, we ask that you quietly exit through the front of the sanctuary. Let's stand together for the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. This has been the Sunday morning service here at First Evangelical Church Glendale in Glendale, California. If this message has been a blessing to you, then we invite you to tune in again next week for another spirit-filled sermon by our pastors. Now that the governor of California has eased some of the restrictions regarding public gatherings during the pandemic, we are now pleased to invite you and your family to come and worship with us here at FECG. 
Sunday morning service times are 9.30 a.m. for the English service and 11.30 a.m. for the Cantonese and Mandarin service. Advanced registration is required, so just go to our website, www.fecg.org, for more information. Until next time, thanks for listening and may the Lord continue to bless you.